Welcome back to BA in Science. I'm Maggie. That's Brenna. Hi. And we are so ready for season three. We can't wait to tell you all about badass humans who also happen to be scientists. And as I said, it's season three. I know Yay. we both, I know, I know we both enjoyed our most recent hiatus. I mean, I didn't do anything exciting except celebrate the holidays. And we got to hang out in person. Yeah. Which was cool. Like we had like a family holiday yeah. thing. Yeah. So did you do anything exciting? I mean, I got tenure. <gasps> That's so exciting. I know. Yeah. I knew you told me earlier today. So yes, very exciting. That was a yeah. big deal. So if you listened earlier or in season two, I probably talked about it. And like, I was busy getting all my tenure paperwork together and then you submit it and then you sit for several months, several months. Yeah. until it all goes through all the channels. And then you get a letter that's like, yeah, you get tenure. So in the fall, I'll be uh, tenured and I'll be an associate professor, not an assistant professor. Mm, associate professor. Mm, that's fancy. Yeah. I'm so fancy. Very awesome. I mean, I so I didn't really do anything other than like you know, I so got a letter. Got a letter. But yeah, but that's no. okay. That's you know, that's still exciting. Feels noteworthy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, let's deal with our weekly business, and then we need to get into our BA this week because he is a wild ride. It's gonna be oh, wild. I'm, I think this is gonna be one of our best episodes ever. But I don't want to like. I know it's a bold statement because we have like all the good episodes, but. I just feel really good about it. Yeah, it'll be good. It will. So check us out on Facebook and Instagram at BA and Science. That's where we post pics and source info for this episode as you have all gotten used to. You can also email us at BA and Science at Gmail if you've got something to tell us or a suggestion or you just say hi. Also, wherever you listen, please remember to rate and review or favorite or like or tell your friends about us so that other people know how to find us. And then also the internet knows that you want to hear more of us. So it will keep making sure you see our stuff. Yeah. Okay. So any addendums from last season or anything else before we jump into what we got today? Cause I have like, I have a quick new thing to talk about. Um, I still haven't watched the Marie Curie movie that I wanted to watch. Not the horribly historically inaccurate one. But the right. older one from like the 40s or 50, whenever they made it, mm. 50s maybe. Anyway, um, I haven't watched it yet, but it's still on my list. You'd think that I would have accomplished that over Christmas break, but I didn't. So, you know, halfway oh. through this season, maybe eventually I'll have watched it and can give you information on whether you should watch it. Yes, that's good. I always like, I always like movie reviews, your movie reviews. Yeah. <laughs> my last one wasn't so great. For the movie but you've never it was hilarious so all of the movies that you've reviewed you have not liked in terms uh, of no that's wrong Algiers I loved Algiers yes you did that's fair. I didn't think that Hetty was you know particularly amazing in it I like the other lady better sure but I still liked the movie it was a good movie okay that's a good fair. movie so yes we'll give credit to that yeah for sure but I am a tough critic when it comes to movie. You're, yeah, well, obviously. And, well, and yeah. especially because it's a historical, mm -hmm. based on history. And we just, we just know this history because we just studied it all. So you can, yeah. you can see where it's like really not right. Yeah. I annoying. feel like they should, you know, there are historical consultants. That's what I used to want to do at once upon a time when I was a history major. Mm -hmm. It's like, I could be a historical consultant for a, a film. 
and be like, no, this is really super wrong or no, they wouldn't have had this or said this or done this or any of this. But I probably would have gotten fired really quick because they probably would have been like, look, you just have to let it go. We can't rewrite the script for you. So, and which is what you would have demanded, which is fair. And I really feel like when you saw the movie Troy, it put you onto that because you hated so much how we've, we've referenced before how, and, and listen, I don't like it any better than you do. I, I, I hate it for very different reasons. Well, some of the same reasons, but yeah, they're mostly the same, but again, it's more liter It's a more literary thing than historical thing that rubs me the wrong way in that one. That's also Brad Pitt is just a terrible actor. That's a not popular opinion, but I'm sorry. Wow, that was a really hot take for our first <laughs> first episode really back strong. in the new season. Maybe, okay, maybe he's not a terrible actor, but in this movie, he is a terrible Achilles. They did not do a good job writing Achilles in that right, movie. Maybe so it wasn't maybe his fault. I take it back, Brad Pitt, if you're listening. You're listening. On the off chance don't that think. you listen to random podcasts just to see <laughs> if you're mentioned. Sorry. I don't think you're a terrible actor. I think your part was poorly written. Yes. Okay. Anyway, anyway, this podcast is not about movies or about Troy uh, and none of those things. Well, I mean, I guess I have a Latin thing to talk about now, but that's about as close to like ancient world as we get, because my addendum is about the new thing we're starting, which both of us are very excited about. Yeah, we finally got our act together and started a Patreon. Yay. Yay. So if you don't know what Patreon is, I will tell you, you go to their website and you search your creator I think is what they call it and it's content creators like podcasters specifically podcasters in our case but there Mm -hmm. are other content creators on there artists whatever go on there and you have the option to support your favorite content creators on a monthly basis if you should so choose and if you do that then there's extra content on there that you get access to that you otherwise would not get access to now all of our episodes are staying the same. You can still listen to us like regular, all the places you normally listen to us. That is all staying the same. But if you want access to those episodes 24 hours early, that might be, that might interest you. Mm-hmm. So that's something that you can get if you uh, contribute to our Patreon or we have the nominate your own personal BA option where you can tell us about someone who you know that is a fascinating human being who also happens to be a scientist. And and like, I hope that Ashley is listening to this because in particular, Ashley, I'm thinking of your husband. You know, you know who I'm talking about. If you're, Ashley, if you're listening, you know. So, but you can do that and then we'll talk about them. We'll do a little bio and a little science about them like in a addendum kind of, you know, at the beginning of an Mm -hmm. episode. Um, Also, we will have mini episodes. For those I'm so you. excited about this. I know, me too. I, for those of you who just cannot get enough of the Maggie and Brenna show, you're going to mm-hmm. get more of it from Patreon. Mm-hmm. And so each season, we're going to, we're not going to do a mini episode for every episode that we do. It's just, there's just going to be like six a season for our a 12 episode season, right? Mm-hmm. And these episodes are, you know how we always talk about, we went down this rabbit hole or that rabbit hole. And sometimes we very specifically say we did not go down that rabbit hole because we simply Mm -hmm. don't have time. Well, Mm -hmm. the mini episodes are the place where we get to explore some of those things 
which we just can't, we can't either, we can't fill a whole episode about it, or we have so much that we can't put it into an episode we're already doing because we already Mm -hmm. have problems keeping this podcast under two hours. And it's my fault. It's me. Uh, well, probably on our second episode, it will be my fault, but that's fine too. Ooh. Yeah. Well, we'll get there. Oh man. So, so these are opportunities to hear a little bit more about something that both of, that one of us is particularly interested in. Both of us will be on the episode, but it doesn't run like a regular episode. We may or may mm-hmm. not have written notes about it. We aren't going to necessarily cover it like we normally do. We may, but it's just a shorter, freer, a different way to, again, cover some of the stuff that we just, we don't want you to miss out on. We, we simply don't have time. All, like our, our BAs are busy enough in their own episodes without having some of the other cool things that we want to put in it. So mm-hmm. the overflow is going into bonus mini episodes on our Patreon. Yeah. So. I encourage you to check us out on there. And um, as usual, as always, we appreciate all of our listeners and you're all fabulous. And we're very excited that you're back for season three. Yeah. So if you don't have anything else, I think we'll take a break and then get into it. Sounds good. All right, break time. I have to be honest. I don't know how our guy was not the original badass that we covered. I mean, I know why Tico Brahe was our, but I just really- I mean, a drunk moose story is, is pretty it's hard. To, it's hard to top, but this, this particular person might be, I don't know, maybe like the co-leader of the badass scientist. I don't know, maybe, we'll, we'll find out. Cause he is really the exact kind of guy that inspired this whole podcast. He was a really good scientist, but also he just the as a human being is just lived lived quite the life as we will discover. And I because I right. have a bio today, and so I've got I've got quite a few stories to tell. But I as, can't wait. As we do, Brenna, you get to give us the quote first, and yeah. which is one of many because this guy is super quotable, super quotable. He is really quotable, and. I think we've saved, we're going to save like all the best ones for, you know, as we get into it. So this one's not one of the, mo- the, the best of the best, but it's a good one. And it tells us a lot about who he was. So all right, go for it. For every experiment with medicine is like employing a weapon, which must be used according to its kind as a spear to thrust a club to fell. So also each experiment. And as a club will not thrust and a spear will not fell, neither can a medicine be used otherwise than for its own disease. Therefore, it is of the highest importance to know each thoroughly in its powers. To use experimental medicines requires an experienced man who discerns between the thrust and the blow, that is to say, who has tried and mastered the nature of each kind. The physician must be exactly acquainted with the illness before he can know with what medicine to conquer it. A woodcarver must use many kinds of tools in order to work out his art, so, as the physician's work is also an art, he must be well-practiced in the means which he employs. Nice. I know that was a long one, but I just, I felt like he was really artistic in his description, it, which was, is it on was, brand for him. It, it, it Yes, very on brand. Yeah. And it wasn't as purple as some of the other people <laughs> who we hear. That's not a phrase you hear very right. often, but he's, he's a little bit prosy, but not too purple. But yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. So tell us who it yeah. is. Do you, 
do you want me to tell us who yeah it is? i don't want to say his name because i can't i can't I i'm gonna let you butcher the pronunciation and i'm just gonna sit here and let you do that i'm going to do my very best great and to, i and i as we get into it i I almost didn't know where to start with this guy. I mean, obviously we're going to have like a little bit of history lesson. So we know like time and space parameters of his life, but he had such a ridiculous reputation that some of his exploits were exaggerated to the point of legend and not in a good way. A lot of the time, in fact, almost never in a good way. I'm going to say which is exactly the kind of information I want. Yes. So that's the kind of information I have. All, my, that's my, what I'm here for. My whole section at the end is the legends of this Fantastic. guy. Fantastic. So here's his name. Philippus Ariolus Theophrastus Bombastus von Hohenheim. That's yeah. his name. That's, sure. Yeah. I like it. It's great. It's a mouthful. It's two mouthfuls, in fact. Part of it's because <laughs> it's German and that's how the German language is because he was from what we now think of as Germany. Mm -hmm. But it's the given name of someone who is more famously known by Paracelsus. And we'll get into that name. You're going to talk about that name, in fact. Uh, yeah, a little bit. A little I think. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, we'll be calling him. I mean, he him gave himself that name. So, you know. Right. Which wasn't uncommon, which I will mention. So we'll get into all of the names. And then, in fact, that's, uh -huh. where, that's where our story begins, because his names okay. actually tell us a lot about him. We, for the purposes of this podcast, will be calling him Pat because mm -hmm. it's easier to say than any of his other names. And mm -hmm. because it's an acronym of Philippus Areolus Theophrastus, Pat. I mean, we could have called him Phil, but when I hear that name, I just think of the little- uh... I think of the satyr from Disney's Hercules. Yeah, from yeah. Hercules, yeah. And he has Danny DeVito's voice. Exactly. So yeah. we're gonna, which when you hear descriptions of Paracelsus, might be actually pretty accurate. I don't yeah, know. Well. So let's go down this quick rabbit hole about his names. The Bombasts were an aristocratic German family from Hohenheim, von Hohenheim. So his last name tells us the family he was in and where they were from. Bombastus von Hohenheim. Okay. Speaking of his family, there's a little tea to spill here. His grandfather was a commander of the Teutonic Knights, and the Teutonic Knights were a military mm -hmm. order whose basic job was to make sure that as pilgrims were headed from Europe to the Holy Land, they didn't all get killed. Mm -hmm. So Gramps had a few illegitimate kids, Wilhelm mm -hmm. von Hohenheim being one of them. Wilhelm oh. is Pat's dad. So he grew up poor. But dad did get a degree in medical sciences, but he couldn't afford medical school. Daddy Will could not afford medical school. So he okay. just wandered, which will be a theme of this family. Mm -hmm. He just yeah. wandered into what we now know as Switzerland and settled down as like a country doctor, put out a shingle, said, come here and I'll bleed you or whatever they were doing at the time. He met a girl named Elsa, who was a bond woman at the local Abbey. Now a bond woman is someone who works for no pay but it's closer to a serf than a slave. Okay. She more like belonged to the Abbey than was owned by a person. I mean, okay. at any, like, it's, you don't want to be She's like place. volunteering at the church. It, except Kinda. you can't leave and you don't oh. get paid. Well, you don't get paid to be a volunteer, but Okay, but she couldn't leave. Okay. Yes. Well, and pay. I know that you don't get paid to be a volunteer, but a volunteer in the sense that you have a choice. 
And I don't think she really did. Is it like indentured servitude then? Mm, a little. Like, can you can you choose to make yourself a bond woman? No. You can't also choose that- to not be a bond woman. So again, <laughs> it, it's it's less than a, a serf, more than a slave. Mm-hmm. It's right in between. And it's serf also and not some hot girl who likes James Bond. No, it is also not a Bond girl. Not, Bond woman, <laughs> okay. not to be confused with Bond girl who gets to do whatever right. she wants, wears fancy dresses and is either killed very early or gets the guy in the end. This is Elsa was not that kind of girl, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, which would have added to the badassery of their son, but here we are. So at any rate, Elsa and Will got married in 1492, which is the date that's, you know, fairly well known. And then November to sail the ocean blue. Oh, we're gonna talk about that. We have to talk so just about filling you in in case you didn't know that that's what how that rhyme goes. That's important. in America. That's if you're not listening in America, oh, here's a little vignette of how public school education <laughs> goes. This is how we remember when Columbus came to the West Indies, which we now know as the United States. Yeah. It was in 1492. Yeah. And thank goodness the ocean is blue, because if it wasn't, I honestly don't know what we would have done. <laughs> anyway. Or if it was 1493, yikes, like, yikes. Okay, anyway. Okay, so in November or December of 1493, Will and Elsa, their son was born. So there's some dispute about when St. Philip's Day actually is, and that's when he was born. So that's how he got his name. I saw one place where it said, well, I saw one place where it's November and one place where it's December. And I think it depends on which calendar you use. Yes, I, I, which I was not, not going to go into. So at the end of the year of 1493, okay. we can say that he was born and the day that they were observing was St. Philip's Day. And so that's how he got his first name. But at his right. christening, he was named Theophrastus, who was Aristotle's successor at the Lyceum. Areolus, which is that like middle kind of name, means golden. And we'll soon see why that was super appropriate. Side note. The name starts with A-U and the chemical symbol for gold is A-U because of, okay, words are fun. Anyway, well, well, and I I can't tell you why it's appropriate because you're going to tell us why it's appropriate. So we'll get there. Now, unfortunately, sad part of the story, Pat's mother's life ended when Pat was just nine years old. Mama Elsa jumped off a bridge uh, named the Devil's Bridge. What? Yep. What? Yeah. She dumped, there was this bridge next to the Seal River. And it's named oh, the Devil's really? Bridge, and she jumped off of it and killed herself uh, when he was nine. So super, super Ooh. not great. They think that she was what we now call bipolar. So she had some, okay. some mental health, obviously, issues. Okay. And that was super sad. But Pat, throughout the rest of his life, especially in his later years, was a big proponent of taking mental illness seriously. He's one of the first people to huh. treat people with mental illnesses like they were human still because usually if you lost your mind you were cast out of society you were right institutionalized there wasn't a lot people could do for you pat was like no my mom was like this and like she was still a person and so he was actually a really good advocate for people with mental health problems at a time when people thought you were just possessed he thought that there was probably something else going on and he's right i'm not saying that demon possession isn't a thing i'm just saying that (laughs) Just I mean, because she didn't jump off Ill. the devil's like, bridge. I, well, I know, I know, but I'm just saying. All right, all right. The other things afoot. 
So Pat's dad took him and wandered a little bit more, and they ended up sending, settling in Villach and got a job at a mining school run by a family named the Fuggers, which is scary to say on a podcast <laughs> that doesn't cuss. Is that how you say it? Yes, it's the it's the Americanized. Like probably at the time it was Fuggers. Fuggers was there like an umlaut? There's not an umlaut because there wasn't an and like again. There's several different spellings. There's different wow. ways that I've seen it said. Oh boy. Either way, oh boy. I'm not gonna, I'm not really gonna reference them much more. Suffice yeah. it to say they owned mm -hmm. the town, this family that starts yeah. with F. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so by this time it's like 1502-ish. And so Daddy Will begins educating Pat in all manner of subjects. And they would go on these long, rambling walks. And Will would teach Pat all about botany, medicine, mineralogy, all the things that he had learned while he was in school, and some of the stuff that he had learned while being in this, this mining town. And Pat would also have likely gotten some kind of theological instruction from the local clerics. Mm -hmm. So he had like some of like church school. Um, and since okay. dad taught at the mining school, which and it was a mining town, it was pretty much the entire local economy. It was this mining mm -hmm. school. So Pat probably got to go there for a little while and learned, basically learned the trade of mining. He would learn how to be an overseer and an analyst for mining operations, primarily involving gold, iron, and mercury. I read in one source that he even worked in the chemical labs in that family's mines for a time where he would have seen firsthand the diseases that were common to miners, including silicosis, which is called miner's disease, which is not the only time we're gonna hear about that this season. Um, and, well, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it even later in, your, in this part. episode. Okay, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so mm -hmm. silicosis, it, listen, our theme is still kidney disease that like, mm. that's our yeah. thing now, but silicosis is going to come up again this year or this season. His formal education wasn't what you would call complete. So he really didn't learn how to have a scholarly debate or write up like what we would think of as like writing a, an academic paper at the time it was having a scholarly debate. That was not a thing that he could do. Mm -hmm. and, his, and his speech was plebeian, to say the least. I mean, we would say, it, they would have said vulgar at the time. And not vulgar, uh, like, yeah. he used bad words, but vulgar in right. like, it wasn't like mm -hmm. proper speech. Mm -hmm. So he was often smarter than whoever he happened to be debating, but these lesser men could say fancier words. So people would think that they were smarter. And so they would win the argument, even if they, it, he didn't, they didn't deserve to win, which mm -hmm. really ground Pat's gears. And <laughs> I mean, honestly, lots of things ground his gears as we <laughs> So he didn't wanna work in the chem lab though forever. So in 1507, he decides I'm gonna go study medicine. So let's take a quick detour into, we need a little history lesson now to give you a kind of feel for the time. Okay. So he was 14 in 1507 when he decides mm -hmm. to seek his fortune. So yes, he was born in 1493. And mm -hmm. anyone knows that in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue to find a route to the West Indies. Right. And so that's the age of exploration. People are leaving in ships to take very long trips across the ocean to find stuff, which is mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. Territory, blah, blah, blah. But Pat's not in that part of Europe. He's not on the yeah. coast. He's like inside Europe. 
-hmm. he's in like the German Austrian Switzerland area and like you notice I haven't been specifying the country that a lot of these towns I've mentioned are in well Germany has had its borders redrawn approximately a gazillion times throughout history. They were Prussia for a while, then there's Germany and it's Switzerland and how much of Poland belongs to Germany. It's been a whole thing. Well, and then there were all these like principalities and like well, all these little ways that it broke down. I don't know. It was confusing. It, that's the other thing. It was very confusing. So like the time that we're concerned with in, in terms of understanding what Europe is like, Remember back in 888, the Carolingian Empire broke apart. I don't know. Yes, ah, oh, yes, ah, oh, yes, the Carolingian Empire in 888. Well, that empire. I remember the, it well. I remember it well. That empire is the one that Charlemagne, Charles the Great, oh, yeah, emperor, yeah. like that's the one that he put together like 400 years after the fall of the Western Roman Empire. Okay. okay? okay. So the Carolingian Empire falls. Then the Holy Roman Empire, state of mind, oh. as this podcast tells us because it's completely confusing as to what it actually is yeah it became a thing and so there were four main kingdoms that were a part of the holy roman empire the kingdom of germany being one of them okay okay and let me stress two things first it's not that simple but there's the context that's that's an overview and that's what you need to know Second, the borders and kingdoms that existed during that time do not exist now because yeah. like I'm going to mention cities and kingdoms and princes and dukes and duchies and all this business. Uh, we don't, it's not the same now, but it's how yeah. it was at the time. Right. So what we, what matters is that Pat was living in the time when the kingdom of Germany was a part of the Holy Roman empire. And it included Mm -hmm. parts of what is now Germany, Austria, Poland, the Czech Republic, maybe Belgium and the Netherlands. That was the kingdom of Germany. There were other. So Bohemia got lumped in with Germany. Yes. At the beginning. Okay. Then they weren't because remember the German princes, we know a little bit about this because we're Lutheran and we study this time in history because the reformation was going to be like a thing. So there were the German princes and what we need to know is. Okay. Because, because as we will find out, Pat went to all of these places. Possibly, yeah. he said. Well, he may, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. So, so anyway, let's get back to Pat. Let's get back to Pat. In 1507, he decides I'm going to study medicine, but it takes a couple years for him to settle on a university, which was pretty common at the time. He like wandered mm-hmm. from school to school. He went on a bunch of college visits for a couple years mm-hmm. to find the right fit. And lots of people did it. Lots of dudes did it. These like, well, roving... even remember, even remember by the time we get to Mangala, I mean, we said like, well, he went a couple years at this school and then he went a couple years at this school and a co- like they were doing that in the 20th century. Yeah. They just like kind of school hopped. So the, the idea that you would go to a university and stay there for four years or five years, yeah. like not, that wasn't a thing. <laughs> so like there's these roving bands of what I picture as frat boys just like school hopping and they made money begging selling drugs pulling teeth um sometimes they would put on a choir concert like no choir would come to town they'd pull your teeth you'd get some drugs (laughs) you'd get money like that's who that's how when you're saying selling drugs like like the good kind of drug you're like hey man you want some crack you know like that kind of nice drugs yeah, sometimes. Oh, okay. okay. So, so yeah, they weren't like, it wasn't like a pharmacist as a drug dealer. Uh-huh. It was okay. like Colombians or drug dealers, more like that. <laughs> yeah. So Pat, 
with all of these dudes, tried out the universities in various cities, and he had some very definite opinions about them. For example, Heidelberg, party school. Leipzig, house of indecency. Wittenberg, he didn't have an opinion about Wittenberg, but he didn't stay there, so we assume he thought it was trash. Um, Cologne had an outdated curriculum. Schurbegen was dogmatic. He had very firm opinions and and was not ever shy about voicing his opinion about anything. So he, that's what Mm -hmm. we know he thought about those places. Mm -hmm. Now, when he finished getting what he could from those places, he went to Paris and Vienna and Italy. And our best guess based on surviving records and Pat's own information is that he got Mm -hmm. a baccalaureate in medicine from the University of Vienna in 1510 and a doctorate from the University of Ferrara in 1516. Okay. Can I tell you a funny story I read about that? Yes. Please do. So I read that this is super sus, okay? Mm-hmm. All the records from 1516 from the University of Ferrara were like, they disapparated apparently. Okay, okay, I'm gonna talk. Did you read yes. that too? I did read that too. I have something about okay. it in just a second because it was about okay. this time that he gave himself the new name. He gave himself the name Paracelsus. Right. And, and it wasn't like everyone in academia at kind of at the time, you'd get to a point where you were like, you know, some professors are all, I spent 10 years on my doctorate. You will refer to me as doctor, period. And other people are like, hey, my name is Mike. We're gonna have a great year this year in 400 level, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He tended, like, they all tended to be more like, no, we have fancy names now and they're Latin. And so he picked Paracelsus. And I again, think I should do that at school. Because a lot of my should. students refer to me as like Mrs. And it drives me crazy because, well, gee, I did go to school to get that little PhD letters after my name. So yeah, call me a doctor because, you know, I need a little bit of respect, whatever. Maybe if I just pick a real fancy Latin name, I'll be like, this is my one. I like Cher, but, but like one chemistry. name. Yeah, like Cher or Madonna, yeah. you would have the one name, but it would be Latin. Yeah. And, and yeah. it would have something to do with because you know, you'll talk about why Paracelsus is appropriate, but it right. would have something to do with your discipline yeah. or something about you. So, you know, I do know that I have some students or uh, students from my university that listen. So if any of my students are listening to this and have suggestions for what my new Latin single name should be, yes, let me know. Hit me yeah. up. Submit we'll, it. And we'll, and we'll, we'll read, we'll read them and yeah. we'll pick one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll put my husband on it because he's right. super creative. He likes things like that. But I'll give him something. I mean, mom and dad, dad will come up with something. Dad will come I'm up sure. with something too. Yeah, he's probably already thought of four in the time it's taken us to describe what's going on here. So yeah, yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. So he picked the name Paracelsus, but as Brenna said, whether or not he actually got that doctorate is very sus because the records are gone. Yeah, just like, just for that one year, like- I don't know where the records are. I don't know. I don't know. Might have been a fire. Heard some rumors about that. There was there was this really weird fire that destroyed literally exactly one year's records of graduation, and it happened to be the year I graduated. That's so weird. That's so weird. Uh, you know, bad luck. But I promise, I got it. You're, I mean, man, it just stinks that we don't have that record. Man. Oh dang. Don't. But it's okay. You can trust me. I'm a doctor. <laughs> M- maybe so maybe. 
And also, Pat had a somewhat contentious relationship with education in general. Like he was expecting his professors to impart some serious truths and it was going to be this like really big deal. But they mainly spent all their lecture time dragging their colleagues and calling them heretics. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it turns out that lecture wasn't actually about the great truths that, that Pat was trying mm -hmm. to figure out. It was like, mm -hmm. oh, and do you hear what that jerk said to, about me at the lunch table the other day? He's a heretic and we should burn him. Like it was that kind of thing. Very petty, very petty. And he was like, this is what I came here for. I'm not learning anything. Yeah. So as a result, he was super critical of people who had earned a doctoral degree and was extra critical of medical education, especially the teachings of Galen and Avicenna, who are both like big deal guys. They, they are ancient. Put that medicine. in your satchel. We got, we'll be talking about that later. Okay, good. I, I hope so because there was some more on that, but it wasn't my area. So yeah, yeah he was not a fan of Galen or Avicenna. And this is our favorite quote in the whole show. He summed up his opinion of academia thusly, quote, all the universities and all the ancient writers put together have less talent than my ass. <laughs> oh, I love him. I love it. It's I nuts. freaking love him because, you know, I mean, you know, sometimes the truth hurts. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. And like, and we can't, I can't argue. What am I going to say to that? You know what? They just might, Pat. They just might. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. So he's fabulous. So he said things like this a lot. That's what makes him super quotable. Well, didn't he like go and burn like Galen's books or something? In like, public. Right when he he's, started. They had a major yeah, he was like a public yeah, book burning or something. Yeah, and he had all these things to say about how he was an idiot. Galen was an idiot yeah. and Avicenna yeah. was a moron. And these yeah. these guys, like he was just, it was, it was not a good, not a good scene. Um, mm -hmm. but Pat, yeah. Pat had lots of lots, most of his life was not a good scene. We're getting to some <laughs> of that. <laughs> and he didn't really care. So no. No, he didn't care at all. That's the thing. He was like the honey badger. So, you know, do I mean, that what you will. Yeah. So he's got his degree, maybe. 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 Yeah. He said he has his degree. And so he's ready to work, right? Wrong. No. He spends the next years, 1517 to 1523, wandering around Europe, doing what? Well, he wanted more knowledge than he had gotten at school. See, when you became a doctor in Pat's time, you didn't actually see patients. Ew, gross. That's for barbers and butchers. I'm not doing that. And Pat wasn't content with this. He wasn't convinced the best way to treat someone was to not touch them or talk to them in any way. And I have to agree. If you don't see patients, you have no business telling people anything about their health. You're, yeah. if, if that's, if, if, I mean, you might have doctor in front of your name, but if you're not seeing patients, sorry, you're not that kind of doctor. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll talk more about this too as well, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Pat sought out old wives, gypsies, sorcerers, outlaws, and see what they knew because they were on the fringes of society and they didn't have access to even someone who could look at them from a distance and say plague or whatever they would say and like, you know, get a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So, and he did some random odds and ends during this time, including maybe becoming involved in a small Dutch uprising. So that's interesting. We don't have a lot of- Yeah, I read he was a that. doctor for one of the- like our military group, like I think it yes. was the army, maybe the Navy. I can't remember, but yeah, I already was like possibly a doctor for them. Yes. And then when they were going to lose, he was like, okay, bye. He's like, bye. I quit. So he left. 
Um, but the, I think the most notable thing that happened was in Russia. So Pat had gone there to hang out at Grand Duke Basil's court. And this is like the St. Bas Basil's Cathedral, that Basil. Yeah. Like that's yeah. the guy we're talking about. Okay. But shortly after he got there, the Tartars invaded and sacked Moscow, making Pat mm -hmm. a POW. So he was locked up, locked yep. up in Russia mm -hmm. for a while, but he had actually a pretty cush life because the Tartars thought that healers were holy men. And he mm -hmm. was like, I'm totally a doctor. I, I graduated and everything, but I lost my degree. I like the piece <laughs> of paper is mysteriously come up missing. And they were like, it's totally cool. You're definitely a holy man. So they treated him like one and he was treated very well, but eventually he, he might've escaped. He maybe was let go again. Sources are, the story's muddy, very muddy. But either mm -hmm. way, eventually he wasn't in Russia anymore. He traveled all over Europe, went over to England. Did, did he, he go to, huh? Did he? Like yes. even like going to England, like have we confirmed, can we confirm that? Yes. I know that he, oh. I, I have enough sources to say that yes, he went to England. He didn't go oh, okay. to like Cambridge or Oxford or any of those places because yeah, he yeah. was like academia. Ew, I already did that. <laughs> Not doing it again. So he just like wandered around there for a little while. Um, and then he said he went to the Holy Lands in Egypt, but he actually lied about that and did not go yeah. there at all. Uh, yeah. and, there and there wouldn't have been a reason for him to anyway, because he didn't care about Avicenna or Gaitlin. So it's unlikely yeah. he would have gone there. And so he just said he did, but he lied. Yeah. Because I, I know I said he had a contentious relationship with education, but what I meant was he had a contentious relationship with the truth. <laughs> he lied about a lot of stuff. But Pat could not wander forever. So in 1524, he settled down with Daddy Willem back in Villach, but he didn't want to compete with his dad for patients because Villach was a small town. Mm -hmm. So he went to Salzburg, which is much bigger, but he only stayed like a minute because he got involved in one of the numerous peasant uprisings that happened there. So he got kicked out of Salzburg and he fled to Strasbourg, which is notable. And like, I don't know, Brenna, if you're going to talk about this, but I am about the surgeons and stuff. Yeah. About the surgeons. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not going to cover, I'm going to like skip a little bit of what I said because you'll have more on it, but yeah, the, the basics here are that in Strasbourg, surgeons were treated like doctors in that they were nobility in most other cities they were a little better than barbers like yeah. if you cut hair you cut people you're you're like bottom rung but if you yeah, were a yeah. doctor you could like i don't know you could wear the color red and have a fur hat and ride a horse and all the other fancy mm -hmm. things that only nobility was allowed to do so he was like oh cool i'll totally be here and he rocked up and he was like i want to be a surgeon and i want to teach surgery and a member of the faculty challenged him to a public discussion of anatomy. And that was the one thing that Pat didn't know a lot about, largely because he thought it was bogus and told everyone that it was in those words. So, I mean, if you're going to cut people, it stands to reason that you should know where all the things are. I mean, that when, we talked be about, cutting. when we talked about Dr. Dan and Dr. Dan's episode back in season one, uh -huh. Dr. Dan was of the opinion that knowing anatomy was literally the most important thing you could know yeah. if you were going to cut yeah. on somebody. And mm. I agree. It, it helps. Uh, it it feels like it would be helpful. It feels yeah. like it. Pat yeah. uh, disagreed uh, and yeah. not respectfully. He did not respectfully do anything. He loudly and profanely told us what he <laughs> thought about anatomy. And uh, Pat was like, oh, I'm not going to talk about this. Bye. And he just like peaced out. <laughs> So he ended up next in, we're going to pronounce it Basel because that's how you would say it in Germany. And I'm sure Brennan's going to talk about his time in Basel. So but, I'm going yeah. to leave that there. 
Um, but the important thing we need to know from this time is that Pat ticked off a lot of people. Yeah. His attitudes, methods, and knowledge were all very novel at the time, and people did not like it. Plus, he was, he was an absolute jerk. Right. So he burned those books by Galen and Avicenna, very public. Yeah. He made enemies everywhere. He insisted on teaching his lectures in yeah. German, not in Latin, which was super unpopular because he wanted his classes available to everyone. And he ridiculed mm -hmm. all the people who were more concerned with titles than with actually like seeing patients and practicing medicine. Here's a little quote for you. He said, quote, if disease puts us to the test, all our splendor, title, ring, and name will be as much help as a horse's tail. So you can have all those letters after your name, but if you don't know how to put your hands on the patient and actually diagnose someone, you're garbage. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know what? I'm going to go ahead and agree I mean, with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, I like that all of the doctors that I see regularly see other patients besides me. And also have probably learned anatomy. Just also, saying. they've learned anatomy, which is yeah. super important. Yeah. So, Pat managed to tick off academics, the pharmacist. He would rock up to a city mm -hmm. and be like, Your pharmacists are selling snake oil and they're trash. <laughs> Bye. Like, he would just roll in, insult everybody. Yeah. And, then he would, and then he would get kicked out. Like, yeah. he alienated even the people that hung out with him. So, I have this excerpt from the writings of a guy named Oporinus, who was one of the guys who knew him when he was at Basel and worked for him basically as a secretary. So okay. he left us the following description of Pat, quote, okay. I should hate to speak against the spirit of his death. While he was living, I knew him so well that I should not desire again to live with such a man. Apart from his miraculous and fortunate cures in all kinds of sickness, I have noticed in him neither scholarship nor piety of any kind. It makes me wonder to see all the publications which they say were written by him or left by him, but which I would not have dreamt of ascribing to him. The two years I passed in his company, he spent in drinking and gluttony day and night. He could not be found sober an hour or two together, in particular after his departure from Basel. I would need many days to tell what I had to put up with. He was a spendthrift, so that sometimes he had not a penny left. Yet the next day he would show me a full purse. I often wondered where he got it. Every oh month God. he had a new coat made for him and gave away his old one to the first comer, but usually it was so dirty that I never wanted one. And <laughs> gosh. So let me like, let me translate that for you. I hate to speak ill of the dead, but OMG, this effing guy. Yeah, oh he has, yeah, he has luck with healing, but he's not a man of God. He's not a scholar. When he told me all this stuff he wrote, I was like, no way. He was drunk literally all the time. And since I was his scribe, I saw it all. He would not believe the BS that I put up. Oh, and get this. He kept trying to give me his nasty coat. Let me just <laughs> say, ew. So that's what yeah. a foreigner thought of Pat, who he spent two years in, in two years with. And he said he knew him so well, he never wanted to see him again. So yikes. Well, okay. Strong and statements. It is. And that guy was more of a friend than an enemy because they were at least colleagues or he sure, worked yeah. for him. So if that's what a friend has to say about him, can you imagine his yeah. enemies? So Pat- yeah, They didn't his, like him. Oh, they hated his guts. And so at this time, Pat and his enemies like would start sending basically nasty tweets, which at the time was nailing mean poems to the church doors. Like his enemies Ooh, would yeah. write nasty poems and they would like nail them to the church door. So again, sending mean tweets. Yeah. Then they would tattle to the city council and the city council is like, no, we're absolutely staying out of this. Like we're not, oh, yeah. we're not getting involved. Yeah, they tried to get him fired from Basel. Yeah, well, and they, and they ended up, so his patron in Basel ended up dying, 
which if you Mm -hmm. were a doctor at the time and your patient died, you were liable. You could be blamed for the death. Right. So Pat was like, Ooh, I don't want to, I don't want to get in trouble for that. Bye. So he pieced out of there pretty fast Mm -hmm. before they could arrest him. Yeah. Unfortunately, this time Pat's reputation as a jerk and a troublemaker is now preceding him. So he has to move from city to city, but each time he shows up, he ticks off literally everyone. And then he's forced to leave. It happened like more than five times. He was, oh. he was completely driven out of Prussia. Like, you cannot come here. And so he just wandered, never becoming permanently wealthy or famous, which was cool mm-hmm. because that meant he could spend more time drinking with peasants and teamsters. And he took a lot, a lot of shade from people because he was like, no, I'd rather party with these guys. And the academics were like, we're supposed to be a doctor. And he's like, drinks. So it <laughs> caused a problem, caused a problem professionally. Because he loved drinking. If I didn't mention it before with Oporinus, let me just say again, Pat was known to drink a lot. Like a lot of people mention his love of drink. <laughs> so eventually Pat ends up in Murano and he acquires some patients there and he isn't completely broke all the time. So that's nice. There's some, there's some stability there. Despite yeah. everything going pretty well, he left Murano and wandered Mur- and wandered. He just, he was like, yeah, things are going great here. Bye. And so I thought of that of Ricky Bobby's dad in oh, yeah. Talladega Nights when he throws the fit yeah. at Applebee's because things are going too good. I feel yeah. like Pat was that guy. Things are going too good. I got to take somebody off and get out of here. And he did. Yeah. And so he left. All right. He did write and publish a few books during his wanderings. And I, Brenna, you might mention some of those. And the result of those books was both wealth and fame. And he could count kings as his patients now. Pat was mm. always his own worst enemy, though. It didn't matter that he had kings and wealth and fame. He spent his money as fast as he got it, squabbled with everyone over everything and sued people all the time. He was super, super litigious. He would just sue everybody. For what? Whatever he felt like. (laughs) Okay. People would do things he didn't like and he just sued them. He's totally, so yeah, just very litigious. In 1537, he handed back to Villick to deal with his father's estate since Will had recently died. Um, But the townspeople remembered him and knew his reputation, and they not so politely asked him to leave, as in the doctors of the town stage a protest during church. So that was not great. But he ended up in Salzburg then in 1540, working for the Duke Prince. This is where it's a little bit weird because it was the Duke, but he was a prince, but he was a Duke of Bavaria, the guy in charge of Bavaria. So Pat despite having claimed that he had the philosopher's stone for a while, he did make that claim. He didn't live forever, despite having said that. We know for sure that he died on September 24th, 1541 in Salzburg. Three days before his death. young. Yeah, he wasn't super old. But, but, okay, listen to the circumstances of his death, though. Uh Three days before his death, he was suffering from some kind of illness and wrote a will. He ordered three psalms to be sung for him in church, and every poor man that came to the church door should be given a coin. He left his medical instruments to the Salzburg barbers, not the doctors, notably, and told everybody where he stored all his unpublished papers. But there's some debate about exactly how he died. Some say his enemies threw him off a cliff. Oh, boy. And the injuries resulting from that killed him. Some say that his enemies hired thugs to beat him up and Pat died of internal injuries sustained during that. 
Some okay. say that, yes, it was definitely the internal injuries, but it's because he fell down the stairs when he was drunk. Uh, some okay. say that he was dying of mercury poisoning, which you might talk about why that might have been a thing. And he knew that he was dying, so he just OD'd on laudanum. Oh. Uh, we, we can't find a definitive answer for that. We don't know. Can't we dig him up and test him? Here's the thing. His bones are in a box in his, like, I actually have a picture of it for the post that we're going to do and his bones are in a box and whatever. I don't know if huh. they've been tested. I could, I, that was a rabbit hole that I was like, I'm going, I'm going down this rabbit hole. Did they exhume his body? Cause exhumations are another thing we like to talk about. Not sure I mean, about that. So hmm. we, if I can find it between now and our next episode, I'll put it in an addendum. Okay. Cause I am trying okay. to figure out if they've ever tested, if they've, if they ever did, but like, his bones were in a church and they got moved to a different place and then they were reinterred. So there was this like bone shuffling after he died. It's complicated. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like he, wasn't he, cause he was not popular. And so they were like, yeah, put that guy out there. And it was, yeah, just, yeah, it you was know, weird. just stick him somewhere. But then, yeah. but then he, but then he had disciples because Paracelsus was also, you're going to talk about this. He was, he had, there was this Paracelsianism that was a thing anyway. So I don't want to, I want to go too much into that because it's. Pretty... I don't know if I'm talking about it in this episode, but I am talking about it in a future episode. Hmm. Oh. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, good to know. All right. So, well, then leave that there because because that brings me to my final section, which is the legends of Paracelsus. This guy, even in death, is incapable of being conventional and finding definitive answers about a lot of the things related to him is difficult. He wrote a lot and said a lot and made a lot of enemies and history is is written by the winners and Pat wasn't a winner. So I want to go through some of the more legendary aspects of Pat's life really quick. Like all the things that I already said are fairly well documented in more than one source, but now we just have some stories that is the true which it is it legend we don't know i'm gonna believe whichever is the most outrageous me too that's definitely what i'm going with all right we know he was a sickly baby and child hmm. and he suffered from rickets which is a vitamin oh. yeah vitamin d deficiency and it makes your bones soft so he was Did he a spend short... too much time in the mines or something possibly we know that he was a short hmm. dude though so something stunted his growth it was huh. possibly the rickets whatever Legend has it that he was a eunuch as a, res- mm-hmm, as a result of an encounter with a wild boar or oh possibly gosh. as the result of an encounter with drunken soldiers. No one knows. Uh, yeah. I know. I know. Okay. We do know that he never had a wife. Okay. But I personally think it's likely that he was just more interested in his studies than in a woman, but his enemies it would have been a really good way to diminish his reputation by uh-huh. painting him as a eunuch or whatever. I think he just chose to be celibate because no woman was ever as interesting as the stuff that he felt like doing. And plus, well, I think I've read he like, up with like his crap anyway. I would. well, I mean, yeah, but I think I've read too that in academia it was kind of like the the most learned men weren't gonna, you know mire themselves themselves in a a marriage or anything crazy like that well and part of it too was that a lot of the people who had the most education 
were educated in some sort of religious capacity. And remember, this is the time when the Reformation is happening. And pre-Reformation, holy men did not get married. Right. And so, but when Luther said, no, nah, dude, it's fine. It's probably even a good thing. Things changed. <laughs> so that was like the in-between time. So it could have mm-hmm. been a little bit of that too. We okay. don't know. Mm-hmm. So his adult life, that was only his young life. Like his adult life was no less subject to legends and stories. Wait, so the eunuch thing with drunken solar soldiers was like in his childhood? His youth. I, okay. okay. Yes. I mean, he did set out at what, 14 to like, you know, find fame and fortune. So hang out I with mean. a roving band of drugged up show choir guys. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Oh gosh. So many people said that he was a magician and or sorcerer who had not only learned the secret to immortality, he didn't, but he also knew how to resurrect the dead, which is gross. He (laughs) rode a white horse given him by Satan himself, and he often spoke with spirits. Which like (laughs) wait, why would Satan give him a white horse? Satan would give him a black horse. That doesn't make any sense. I'm just telling you what they said. If you see pair, if you see a, a heavy set dude on a white horse riding around, because I haven't even gotten to the most hilarious part of this yet. It gets better. Oh, God. Okay. I mean, he he got accused of consorting with the devil a lot, actually. <laughs> Frequently. Okay. So much so that eventually stories about Pat and Dr. Faustus. Uh huh. The guy who was a scholar and got sick of conventional yeah. knowledge and sold his soul to the devil and traveled all over the place. So you see in the parallels, got a yeah. bit tangled. Goethe even alluded to Pat in Faust. Mm-hmm. So I read that too. So happened a lot. When Pat showed up at his dad's place after all those years of wandering, he brought a large, large, like it made a note that it was a large sword with him, which he said he got from his service to the Venetian army, which no one could confirm. Again, probably the records got accidentally burned up. I don't know. <laughs> he slept with this sword by him, though, like slept with this sword and kept laudanum, the opiate, right, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the hollow pommel of the sword, maybe. Hmm. Again, hmm. you know, could be a legend, but, you know, he always wandered around with this ginormous sword, possibly full oh. of heroin in it. Oh. okay turns out that in the late 1500s a whole bunch of pat's followers wrote a bunch and attributed it to him which Ah. makes it really impossible to draw the line between actual events and legends on some of this stuff so in the course of my studies and research on pat there's something i found called the legend of paracelsus and it's a really good oh it's a really good summary of pat's life's work Okay. This is like story time. This is the Maggie version of the legend of Paracelsus. Okay. From German folklore. So not in German. You won't be reading it in German to us. I will not be reading it in German to you. I will be reading it and I will be reading like, cause I read it and it's all written very nicely. I'm, I'm doing kind of a masterpiece theater version where it's translated Mm -hmm. a bit for the common. All right. Yeah. So. Pat was out for one of his rambles, like the ones he used to take for his dad. When he was well out in the middle of the forest, he heard something calling his name. The voice was coming from a giant fir tree. (laughs) As he inspected, which he didn't think was weird. As he inspected the tree, he saw that a spirit was trapped inside. 
And the spirit begged mm-hmm. Pat to let him out. But I was like, no, that's probably a terrible idea. But the spirit kept asking and Pat was like, okay, fine. But I want magical powers. I want a potion that turns everything to gold. So I have money for research, which all of you academics who want to throw shade on that, don't lie to me. If, if someone offered you a potion that made things gold, so you have money for research, you'd do it too. I mean, um, yeah. And I would also like a medicine that cures all illnesses. And the spirit's mm-hmm. like, yeah, sure, whatever. So Pat lets the spirit out of the tree by prying out. There was like a little cork, a little stopper that someone had stuck oh. in the opening mm-hmm. where the spirit was trapped. Mm-hmm. And so Pat puts the stopper in his pocket and he noticed the spirit looked like a thin, ghastly old man with red eyes. Again, okay. no red flags here. Pat's like, oh, this is totally normal. <laughs> So the man led Pat through the woods and split open a rock. He went inside the rock and when he came back out, he gave Pat two bottles with potions in them that would do what Pat had asked. As they're walking and talking, the spirit's like, cool, so I'm off to get revenge on the sorcerer who put me in the tree. Bye. And Pat's like, oh my gosh, I think the spirit is actually a demon. (laughs) Like you just now figure that out, dude, but okay, whatever. The red eyes weren't a dead giveaway because for me, it would have been the red eyes. I don't know. Is this this what his like followers are writing about him? Is this a story he related actually happened? No idea. German folklore. All right. So Pat does fortunately have the good sense to try to fix this problem that he created. He wants to get the demon back in the tree. Good thing you saved that stopper, right? Mm -hmm. So he says Mm -hmm. to the demon, bro, you are totally awesome at being a magical being. Like, flex your powers for just a minute just like for funsies can you turn yourself into i don't know like a spider and crawl back in that hole you just came out of that i have no intention of trapping you back in Mm -hmm. and the demon's like that's not suspicious at all heck yeah i can (laughs) so he turns into a spider and crawls back into the tree and pet slams the stopper back in the hole and carves crosses in it and everything. And the demon is very unhappy about this turn of events, but the stopper holds and Pat takes his magic potions. And that's how some people say that Paracelsus was such a good alchemist and healer. The end. Hey, wow. So that's the legend of Paracelsus. I love it so much because it is a really good summary of everything about Paracels, about Pat that we know from his life. And it's an awesome story. Wow. And that's what I've got for you on Pat. So what a guy, what a, what a dude, man. So I'm excited to hear more about his science because as I mentioned at the end here, he was known as an alchemist and a healer, maybe a Mm -hmm. doctor, quote unquote. (laughs) So in the days before medical licensing, having your records burned up in a fire was no big, apparently. <laughs> it's totally fine. Like so, he's like he went to Dr. Bob's school. Or no, Dr. Nick. Dr. Sorry. Nick. Yes. He's he Dr. Dr. Nick's school. Dr. Nick's medical school. I love it. <laughs> so let's And you one. know that as dad listens to this, he's doing the voice right now. I know he's doing it right now. He's de- he's probably texting it to us as he's listening to it in that voice. We'll probably get a meme yeah. or a gif later, which is yeah. great. I'm excited. So, okay, let's take a break. And then I want you to tell me about his professional, so to speak, life, which I hope is just as interesting as his personal life. Sure. (laughs) We'll find out. (laughs) Okay, Rena, 
we need to take a minute to tell everybody about Proton Guru and the MCAT ladder. Yeah, we definitely do. It's really great. The whole idea of Proton Guru is academic accessibility. So at protonguru.com, you can find a free full organic chemistry course, a free MCAT organic course, and diversity modules related to organic chemistry. The cool new thing that just got added might be the best part though. It's called MCAT Ladder, and it's an MCAT test prep course like no other. It's prepared by a group of passionate faculty who really wanted to keep costs low. The big thing about the program, though, is how thorough it is with exceptional concept explanations and visual learning, plus questions that are challenging like real MCAT questions. The MCAT Ladder is only $500. And if that's not enough, they have a scholarship program, too. So go on over to protonguru.com and check out all the amazing stuff that's there. With MCAT Ladder, it's all about reaching down to help others climb up, which is a very badass thing to do. Well, Pat's life was clearly a wild ride. So Brenna, what have you got for us in terms of the science? All right. So we've talked about, you know, he was a, a doctor Um, but he was also an alchemist and I just kind of want to unpack both of those things further. So I'll start with the medical and the toxicological side of him, which is, uh, it does kind of involve some chemistry and alchemy, but there's, you know, some other more chemistry related cool stuff and just some random stuff that I just liked and I want to talk about. Okay. So, yeah. So we know, you know, where he studied and where he taught and all that, but Mm -hmm. What is really like, why did other physicians hate him so much other than the fact that he threw like all the shade on them all the time? Right? I mean, yeah, besides the fact that he was a total jerk, I he was a total jerk, but there was bigger reasons and you've kind of talked about him a little bit. We'll kind of go in more depth. Um, I mean, he was called the Luther of medicine. Yes. I read that. That was, that was a nickname of his. And if you know your reformation history, Luther also made a lot of enemies for calling out things that he didn't think were all on the up and up with the church, you know, yes. and Pat does kind of do that in medicine to an extent. And maybe he's not always right about everything, but you know, sure. Okay. Neither was Luther. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So to start, I just want to uh, give a brief overview of medical history as it pertains to kind of what gets us to Pat. Okay. Life and whatever. Okay. And we've done this in bits and pieces, right? We've talked about other physicians yeah. and medical related BAs, but um, I'll just bring us up to speed on, you know, current medical practices at the time and how Pat was, you know, going against these contemporary ideas. Okay. And I'll put this book in our source post, but I got a book from the library called The Illustrated Timeline of Medicine by oh. Jill Davies. It's really cool. I think it's geared for like um, upper elementary or like teens. But it's a really interesting book, especially if you dig medical history, because it's a timeline. But then, you know, there are little snippets that go into more details about different people, or different discoveries, and it's, it's super cool. So nice little condensed story of medicine. I know we've talked about the Edwin Smith papyri because I, well, papyrus, because I got on my soapbox about it and the Ebers papyrus and stuff like that. And those are our earliest written records that we have pertaining to medicine and surgery and so forth. Mm -hmm. So ancient Egyptian is kind of, or ancient Egypt is kind of where we start with medicine, but then we're going to zip along and go through a lot of developments in medicine in Greece and Rome. And that's when we get to Hippocrates in like the third 
hundred-ish century BC. Okay. And Hippocrates, we've talked about him, right? He's credited yep. with a lot of things: Hippocratic oath and the Mainly, four yeah. humors, and you know, all the important things. important stuff for them. Okay. Yeah. Um, another big name in Roman medical thought and practice was a guy named Cornelius Celsus. Yes, that's Celsus. 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 And, and if you, if you call yourself Paracelsus, you're like a little bit higher up than Celsus. Well, anyway, you know, which is you know, fitting you know. that he would say I'm better than this guy. This, you know. Right. So he wrote uh, something called on medicine in the beginning of the first century AD. Okay. Apparently he wasn't a doctor, which, Hey, maybe neither was Pat. Um, yeah, you know, maybe the records got lost. Maybe they got burned up in a fire. Up. Maybe this was a really year. fitting name for Pat. Just that one year. Um, yeah. So he he did know a lot about Roman medicine at the time, apparently. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. So he wrote a lot, but I mentioned him because he is mentioned in the timeline of medical history in the book, but hmm. um, not. A, I didn't like go down a rabbit hole to look more into him because this episode's about para celsus not celsus not celsus so yeah not good enough um so then 100 about 100 years later we finally get to galen who we've talked about um mm-hmm. already here but he is he kind of gets the credit for the f- developing the theory of four humors i think it's like mm-hmm. hippocrates and galen kind of get like you know um pharma uh, pharmacology is also somewhat kind of being developed like you said there are pharmacists uh, or druggists or whatever they call them Mm -hmm. and they're starting to do this kind of you know well let's give medicine or whatever but i read a recipe um of pats that called for an ingredient called theriac like one of his recipes for a medicine Mm -hmm. okay so turns out and again, this was in the timeline. It's so funny because I had read about it and then I see it in this medical uh, or timeline of medical history. Uh-huh. In the first century AD, theriac was developed and used as like a universal antidote to like all the things. So penicillin. Well, okay. So theriac is a compound that has 61 ingredients in it. Whoa. Including oh, viper no. meat. Ooh. <laughs> because of course. And opium so i'm pretty sure you pretty could, could have taken you know 60 ingredients out and just and given just someone given opium, the opium and probably would have done the done the same thing you know i mean it would be my just, guess just saying so i mean it was just a really really expensively fancy opium i don't know i don't know like, viper meat is that easy to come by where do you do you go to the store and say excuse me i would like some viper meat yeah I don't like know. is there a guy that comes to the market only on thursdays and you're just like, oh my gosh, the Viper meat guy is here. <laughs> you don't want to miss him. We got to stock up so we can go make our theriac. He's, I mean, next, to, he's I next to the fish head guy. Just write down this on the left. I don't know. Yeah. And then uh, just look for those roving bands of students uh, selling drugs. Oh, wait, that was later on. That was later on. Um, Not that much yeah. later. <laughs> I mean, you know. So... And again, we've talked about this before, but after a few centuries, we don't really see a whole lot in terms of Western medicine development. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting because as I'm going through this timeline, you don't see a bunch of, you know, highlights from Western Europe. It's all Eastern mm-hmm. uh, medicine that's kind of going on. And again, 
I don't know, maybe they just weren't writing it down. Maybe they just kind of were persisting in the four humors and they were happy with that and nobody really cared. But anyway, we're gonna, we gotta fast forward all the way up until like, I don't know, the 13th century uh, before we start seeing medicine being dealt with in Western Europe in the way that we think of for that time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So now we're up into Pat's time and at this point still during his time again the four humors it's a big deal and that's where your body has blood phlegm black bile and yellow bile and you know depending on which humor was affected you'd like treat that you know so if your blood humor was off get your leeches yes get rid of that right but if your blood humor was fine but like one of your other ones was off like you wouldn't bleed somebody if their black bile was you know not right you know obviously duh um so i mean you know that that's kind of (laughs) that's kind of how they treated people and how they doctored them so and you mentioned this too but barbers were basically like surgeons Mm -hmm. um they could perform small surgeries and the reason surgeons were dirt you know to physicians Mm -hmm. is because they were seen like you're a barber right and yep okay great you can cut hair or people and they actually touched people at you yeah you know um, and you said some of this, but, uh, in, in your segment too, but a lot of what was taught at university was theoretical mm-hmm. and it was, if you weren't trash talking somebody else, you were just talking, you know, mm-hmm. like I envision one of the awful scenes from that awful movie about Hypatia where, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's just like the disciples and she are just talking and, you know, whatever, but it was like that even for med school. And so it's like, what are you learning that is actually going to help you treat people, you know? Right. Um, and so when he rocked up to Basel University and started teaching in German, not Latin, yeah. um, and focusing on very different topics compared to what the medical students would be used to, that was a big not, deal. Not you know? anatomy. I'm going to guess anatomy. Yeah, was I got some. I, I have some topics that I can read out for you here. Um, but he opens, as you said, he opens his lectures up to surgeons and barbers and like, you know, anybody. And that super offended the physicians. But I found a posting for his lecture in June of 1527. Ooh. And I don't know who posted this. He, I feel like he probably did. Or, um, or he probably his, like, yes, he made wrote it and submitted it. He probably yeah. was the one posting it on all the doors. Like, like he's tweeting it out. Like, follow me. I'll send my own tweets. You know. Yes. Yeah. The famous doctor, Paracelsus, city oh, physician, famous. will, yeah, famous, will speak at high noon tomorrow in the town square upon the new and marvelous light of medicine. He will also touch upon the ignorance, the avarice, and the strutting vanity of the doctors of Basel. Sign me up. I go <laughs> to that lecture. That sounds like a great time. You, you can see you how they might have gone to have... city council to be like, um, please, can you make him go away? Yeah, like if if I was one of the greedy, stupid doctors that he was calling out, I would have been like, excuse me, committee chairperson, can you do something about this guy? He's ruining everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so he does go on to lecture some of these, the, the following topics. Degrees and components of recipes on natural substances, diagnosis by the pulse and face, disease oh. arising out of acidity, diseases of the skin, 
open wounds and ulcers, surgical lectures on wounds received in war. Interestingly, um, if he actually did serve as a doctor when he was helping the Dutch, that he would have he would have seen things. And it's different when you're treating men on a battlefield than when they're like, hey, I might have syphilis. I mean, right? Like those are those are very different things. Two very My different legs things. blown off. I, do I need to amputate this? Yes or no? It's not a question that you ask when you have syphilis. We hope. We hope. Otherwise, there'd be a lot of eunuchs. Unless you have an encounter with a wild boar in your youth. I'm just saying, you know. Oh, gosh. Um, that took a crazy turn. I'm sorry. Okay. okay. Um, <clears throat> on pharmacy on bloodletting, on the preparation of medicines, et cetera, okay? okay? So obviously from the sounds of those lecture subjects, he was much more focused on practical application. How do you actually deal with this? And he had to, he had to have had a different appreciation for treatment of wounds and surgery because he was on an, you know, in an, as an army surgeon having to deal with that or whatever. Yeah, for and sure. those doctors, those physicians in Basel have been leading a cush life their whole, you know, for their whole life, you know? Yep. So that's not something that they would probably, most of them be familiar with. Right? No, not at all. So um, he was also big on the idea that you could learn a lot about healing from not just physicians, which is why he said a doctor must seek out old wives, gypsies, sorcerers, wandering tribes, old robbers, and such outlaws and take lessons from them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because he was like, well, I'll just, you know, what works for them? What did the gypsies do? I don't know. Does it work? Let's find out. Um, which isn't necessarily bad because there are a lot of remedies that are uh, found in nature that people have been using for centuries, oh, right? So, well, Before I mean, that's doctors. How, that's how we got to aspirin. Yeah. A guy, a guy was walking around, he's taking a right. constitutional because he had a headache and he, and he started yeah. chewing on this willow bark and he was like, I feel great. What's in yeah. this? And, yeah. and, aspirin so like yeah right. it's you know right yeah so i mean he's i to me it doesn't seem crazy that hey maybe i'll just see what other people are doing i mean i don't know that i'd search out sorcerers you know sorcerers i mean it depends uh, on what they're ensorceling you know <laughs> unless it's a sorcerer who's going to trap demons in your trees but you know well because then you can get a magic potion which is what we're all <laughs> looking for i think oh goodness so another area that he felt really strongly about was um, the moral and ethical behavior of doctors, uh, mm. which, you know, is ironic given his reputation for egregious everything lies. else. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, in his defense, I did read like he charged the rich people a lot, but then he would hardly charge the poor. Like oh, he just see? like treat poor people for free because like, all right, like you're poor. But, oh, you have lots of money. Yes, me looking down your throat for five seconds will cost a million dollars, please and thank you. You know, I mean, you're healed. They could afford to pay, so he took my, I don't know, that's probably not ethical, but, you know, he tried to help the poor people is how I view it. Which feels ethical. I mean, mean, overcharging people just to get their money feels a little. People who were, were, were these, was he treating colleagues? Like, what if one of the professors at the school got sick and they were like, oh, just get Pat. It's fine. I don't, just don't tell anybody. And like, he would be like, I know how much you made from those lectures and you're going to pay. I feel like it was like blackmail money. You know what I mean? 
could have been could have been that i don't know um but i do have some other quotes so um i have this quote about this topic i wish you to learn so that if your neighbor requires your help you will know how to give it not to stop stop up your nose like the scribe the priest and the levite from whom there was no help to be got but to be like the good samaritan who is the man experienced in nature with whom lay knowledge and help. There is no one from whom greater love is sought than from the doctor. Nice. He's got a way I with mean, words, that Pat. This guy is super complex because sometimes I think, wow, he is just a... Mm. A drunk, a drunk eunuch running around lying to people <laughs> with the giant sword, possibly riding on a horse given to him by the devil. <laughs> it would have been black if Satan gave him a horse. It wouldn't have been white. It doesn't make any sense okay i don't know i feel something's obviously culturally lost been lost i don't know i don't like am i wrong hasn't black always been like associated with evil and white's always good yeah like the bad guy always rides a black horse maybe they didn't think that necessarily he was evil himself he just palled around with satan but i feel like satan would only have access to black horses (laughs) Satan didn't have access to white horses because he's bad guy like there are very specific rules about this apparently and also for being very technical horses are not not ever white they're gray even when they're white they're called gray yes well for any of you in the equine world listening to this podcast we're screaming there's no such thing we know i'll show my my knowledge just a little bit about gray horses okay well but then Um, oh no then it was definitely white and from satan because only satan could make a white horse it obviously wasn't a natural one. I don't know. That's a theory. I feel like that's a good theory. <laughs> that's a Maggie theory. That's what I think. Okay. Um, all right. Um, it's woo. all right. Back back to on topic. We are we are here. complexity because again, you I read some of these quotes and I'm like, okay, if he really said these kinds of things, like you know. So he gave a lecture um, on the doctor's own character in terms of like what a doctor should be. And he said, like lists out these things. One, he shall not consider himself competent to cure all in all cases. Two, he shall study daily and learn experience of others. Three, he shall treat each case with assured knowledge and shall not desert or give it up. Four, he shall at all times be temperate, serious, chaste, living rightly and not a boaster pot kettle (laughs) Uh, okay five he shall consider the necessity of the sick rather than his own his art rather than his fee which he treated poor people for free you know yes he shall take all the precautions which experience and knowledge suggest not to be attacked by illness seven he shall not keep a house of ill fame nor be an executioner nor be an apostate nor belong to the priest craft in any form that one feels a little weird to me. There's a lot going on in number seven, but like he just, okay. he's like, I really want there to be only seven of these. So I need all the things in the last one. Hey, a poorness, which didn't I put in there? Just, it's fine. Just put it all in the seventh one. It's fine. Yeah. Don't, don't be an executioner. Um, don't, you know, does don't he, mean, does he mean, mean first no. do no harm? I get, I don't know. House of ill fame. Like, what are we talking Like gambling, whoring? drinking because i feel like he did the drinking thing yeah i don't know really do the but but he did deal with a lot of people who did whoring probably he was an expert in curing. he was an expert in curing syphilis oh yeah okay so yeah well yeah we will yeah we'll get to that 
he differed so much from the traditional approach to the body and medicine and that he basically thought the body was a lab, like your body. Okay. And doctors should investigate and experiment in the lab to find cures specific to diseases. But don't worry. I'm not saying every, and I'm not saying everything about what he says is right, but I think it's interesting. So one of the major contributions that Pat makes to medicine at this time is the idea that medicine should be given for a particular illness, right? You study in the lab to find, you know, specific diseases, and then you give medicine specifically for that illness. And um, also that the amount of it, which we would call the dosage, that matters. So he once said, what is there that is not a poison? All things are poison and nothing is without poison. Solely the dose determines that a thing is not a poison. Um, And he's not, I mean, he's not wrong, really. I mean, we take medications all the time that's beneficial to us. But why is it, why does Tylenol say only take two every whatever many hours do not take more because you're because you don't want to destroy your liver liver. yeah right so i mean it is dangerous if you take right like you take anything in too much of an amount so he's kind of onto something which this is not like up to this point you know he up to this point they had medicines with 61 degree ingredients (laughs) in them and it was just like oh you're not feeling good take some of this oh well i mean okay that was actually one of pat's uh remedies was to put something or had theriac in it but you know he would go to these pharmacies and probably tick them off but he probably was like you're just like willy-nilly handing out medication with no rhyme or reason or it's not like a doctor would say here's two tablets take these once a day it's like the doctor would throw some stuff here's a kilo like, Here, of cocaine when you're feeling tired <laughs> deal with it this way yeah. like <laughs> like you know if, so if, you, is- if you can't feel your face it's too much <laughs> Oh, so yes. it, it was important like this to me. I mean, if we want to, he was crazy in a BA and all, all sorts of things, but to me, this is one of these things where it, this is a, it is a valid contribution or a helpful yes, contribution. I agree. Because, I agree. um, he's really the only, the first person, at least that we kind of do- have documentation of mm-hmm. who's putting this into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but along these lines he also did think that we had like our own little alchemist in the body and he named it and it was going to separate the good stuff from the toxins and so he wasn't like a hundred percent there with us you know but he tried and you know he at least had some valid contribution i mean to be fair that's not any more outrageous than that the body is controlled by four humors when you when when you come right down to it i mean you know um but the fact that he thought you should investigate in the body and find like specifically like oh, this, this kidney, although I don't know if he would know it was a kidney or where a kidney was because he didn't take anatomy, but oh, this kidney is not working properly. We should fix this kidney versus like your black bile's out of whack. Let me readjust that for you. I mean, it it is why he would have had such a, I guess, disdain for Galen and for Mm -hmm. those putting forth that full humors theory, right? Sure. Yeah. So in terms of medicine, he and his followers were actually given the name, at least one place I read, um, mineralists. Oh. Pat maybe did the first generalized set of chemical reactions um, where he subjected a large number number of metals, so silver, gold, arsenic, lead, copper, antimony, mercury, 
etc which were all mostly known substances to alchemists at the time like Mm -hmm. those are all pretty much well known you know at at its time in history okay um so he exposed or subjected them all to a set of procedures um and he ended up with a series of salts and then when he put these into solutions he called them oils which is like if you've ever heard someone like if you read and they're like oil of this or it's it's not actually probably an oil he put it into some kind of solution but it's it's a term that gets used medicinally for i don't know how long he promoted these mineral salts and oils uh for use in the body's medicines and i read that his students actually end up kind of being the leaders in bringing mineral drugs into use pharmacologically speaking oh okay although that wasn't always a good thing Mm. um you know but Pat has also been credited with reintroducing opium, which is the laudanum. Uh, how do you say it? I said laudanum. Laudanum. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I feel like in every Tolstoy book I read, it's like you know, give me some laudanum. That was a laudanum. Pop- this, laudanum, was a that, popular- laudanum for everybody. You get laudanum, and you get yeah. laudanum. Can't yeah. sleep. Laudanum. Not too much now. It was a die. popular drug for oh, yeah, quite some time. It was everywhere. Um, but he, I have read that he has been credited uh, with reintroducing it to Western Europe. Like they would have maybe encountered it before, but kind of reintroduce it. Uh, I mean, if he did travel as much as he said, um, it is possible he encountered it being used again in, or being used in the East and recognized like, hey, this is going to make people feel good. I mean, you know, there's a lot of well, not I'm not convinced about. that the gypsies and the old wives weren't just like, We've been dealing with these poppies for years, yo. Like, yeah. I don't know why. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that. there is that too. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I feel like in all my, tol- like all the Tolstoy books, I really feel like everyone's got laudanum. And so maybe in Russia, he encountered, I don't know. Because he was in Russia. Russia. Okay. So one other large contribution that he gets credit for is in regards to syphilis, as we mentioned. Yay. Earlier. I mean, not yeah. yet, but- you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't even know. I read that he was the first to discover that syphilis is contracted by contact, not just like through the bad air or whatever. I read, like, I read the same thing that he just figured out like, that syphilis if you walk into, you can... if you, if you walk into the brothel and you just walk in, you're not just going to like catch it. It's, you know, yeah, it's not, it's not an airborne disease. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a contact kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah as we're probably aware. He also believed that mercury in small doses, not just like, hey, however much of this you feel like taking, just like chug it back. But small doses of mercury was really the only effective treatment for it. Um, And honestly, until, you know, antibiotics, which isn't until the 20th century, mercury was the treatment for syphilis. With mixed results. Yeah, that has some problems too. For a full discussion on that, TPW, this podcast will kill you. TPWKY does have an episode on on syphilis and mercury. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Um, He also wrote a pamphlet on how worthless this plant from the West Indies, it was called, oh, I'm going to butcher this name, uh, Guayac? I have no idea. Um, There's something about that, and I didn't know how to pronounce it either from there's a plant from the west indies and it was a treatment also um so he wrote a a pamphlet like this stuff is worthless don't use it and then he tried to publish a book called essay on the french disease 
because mm. that's what they called it that's at they the called time. Syphilis, mm-hmm. which, Sorry, and you know, that really unfairly maligns the entire sorry, nation of France. Yeah, you know, we always talk about France is for lovers, but it's not their fault. It's not, and and exclusively, and just you know, France is not for syphilis, yeah. which is what we should have <laughs> called, called this episode, obviously. <laughs> alternate title alternate title <clears throat> but only one chapter made it past the censors because he ticked off and i actually think because i did not write this down um but i think it was the <clears throat> fuggers <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> i don't know how to say that right um but he i think they were the ones that were making a lot of money off of the that plant from the West Indies. Yes, that is true. That's something that I did not include. That is true. And they greased the wheels basically to the censors to be like, hey, you cannot publish uh -uh. this stuff. Right. Because he was basically saying that treatment's crap. If you want healing from your syphilis, come to me and I'll hook you up with some mercury. That's the only thing to do. Um, All right. So then we already talked, we mentioned minor's disease, which is silicosis because he spent a lot of time around the mines and he interacted with the miners and he did figure out that, you know, this exposure to the metal dust and the metal vapors being inhaled by miners wasn't great. Um, and also all that metal dust and metal vapor being inhaled probably is why they didn't feel good versus, you know, a revenge inflicted by mountain spirits, which is apparently what some what? of the locals believe. No, it was yeah. definitely the mountain spirit. <laughs> Listen, I mean, Pat had experience with mountain spirits. And so if he said it wasn't uh, a spirit, I guess. Was I'd it a mountain spirit or a forest spirit? Because then it wasn't in a pine tree. I feel like it was a forest spirit. It was. So, so, but what I'm saying is he does have experience with spirits. So if he's saying it's not, you you know what you might be right i'm just well, you know you know throwing or he just there. asked his or he just asked his pal satan <laughs> or he just asked his pal satan like hey question for you mr satan dr satan i don't know i don't know if he's got a doctorate his records probably got lost too <laughs> this is gonna give me one of those episodes where mom's like girls what are you guys doing i know <laughs> We're just uh, okay. We we actually had time to research this episode, and we we are actual experts. I feel like we, this is an yeah. episode that we are actual experts on. You know, it's fun. Okay, so I have to mention this one other theory that he proposed in terms of medicine because um, it just made me giggle a little bit because okay. it's it feels very non scientific, but I'll mention it. So he thought plants and minerals had like their own signatures. And that you had to get skilled in reading those to understand how best to use them. So one example of this is in the shapes of different plants. Oh, no. So, for example, liverwort was shaped like a liver. So it would cure liver disease. Kidneywort, oh, okay. same idea. Okay. Um, I don't want to orchids. follow this to its natural end. <laughs> nope, don't, don't talk about flowers. Don't do it. I know you're going to, are you going to talk about flowers now? I don't want to know. Orchids. Orchids could help with um, a particular issue pertaining to, um, you know, particular part of male anatomy Mm. because it was shaped like that. Uh Uh-huh. Great. It all has to do with like the shape. Were he he and Linnaeus friends? We need to research (laughs) that. Yeah. I mean, also spoiler alert, none of that's good science because kidney wart does not in fact cure all kidney diseases um and orchids and, don't orchids don't deal with the problems of the male 
reproductive <laughs> organs. Are, yes, are you yes. sure? I mean, but you know, kidney diseases, especially I'm glad that kidney wart doesn't cure them all because what would we talk about every episode if we had no kidney diseases? Well, right. So, I mean, I'm glad we brought it up because well, so, now we just know. have to, if we, t- if we can go ahead and touch on catheters, I think we'll have hit all of our high points. <laughs> have hit all of our things. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, some of his medicines weren't crap though. And he did introduce black hellebore. Yeah. I think he's how he said it. He introduced black hellebore to European pharmacology. Um, And that actually can help alleviate some types of arteriosclerosis. Mm -hmm. So that's a thing that leads to like coronary coronary artery disease, stroke, so forth. He also prescribed treatment of, quotes, poor blood with iron. So I'm thinking poor blood might be anemia. Anemia. So he may have been um, one, an early person or, you know, early on recognized that iron will help treat anemia or anemic people. Kidney wart, not so great. Uh, Black hellebore, you know, helpful and useful. And um, it didn't say how he got it or introduced it into kind of use. But for all we know, some gypsy was like, hey, this thing out here that grows is like super good for, you know, my husband who's obese and has some heart issue. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Like that's um, what I was, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like some farm woman on a, a somewhere yeah. who's 153 years old is like, no, it's this plant right here. It's going to be fine. This I've is been what I give to all. Forever. My give... ticker feels great. That, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now. Just to point out, we obviously can credit him with some of these positive things, but we also don't know how many patients he treated or experimented with to get the doses right and to get things so, right. in terms of medical ethics, <laughs> you know. Um, I mean, I did read he advocated animal testing. Mm-hmm. So maybe he recognized that he didn't want to necessarily do it on people, although, you know, PETA don't come at, don't at me, PETA, with animal testing. But I mean, that is a reality of how things were and are tested. But, yes. um, uh, you know, so maybe he was like, okay, I should probably not like kill people unnecessarily until I kind of know what's going on. Sure. Um, yes. and which but, is, you know, in all fairness, there weren't a lot of ways to test things back then in terms of, you know, they couldn't go in the lab. They couldn't run computational right. studies on how something is going to bind to a protein to find out if it's, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So what were you going to do? Well, but that's, it's but like, that's how a lot well, of things like were discovered. Just got, it, well, it's like the guy that just got um, the pig heart in January. Yeah. Eventually like, you have to try modif- it on a per- Eventually you have to try it on a person. They modified some genes in the pig, which is super cool. Um, they modified I read about some which genes. Ones. It was yeah. very cool. Yeah, like which ones they had to take out and then which human genes they had to insert in or whatever. Mm. But like this guy was, but but in all fair, I mean, I don't know, all of his patients would have had the same thing. This, this patient is like, you will die or you will get a pig maybe heart and die. also potentially die, but, maybe, but not. maybe not. I mean, at that point, you're probably like, well, outcome is probably the same, but maybe not. So um, I wanted to also mention that one of two places, um, two sources, major sources I read, used the word chemotherapy when describing Pat's contributions to medicine. Yeah. And chemotherapy, like I always associate with like, it's a cancer drug, but 
in this context, we really just mean chemo, chemo, chemical therapy, like using chemical substances to treat diseases. Okay. Okay. I was very confused about that because that wasn't part of my research, but it had come up and I was like, that feels really... So we, well, like when someone says like, I'm getting chemotherapy for cancer, they're getting chemical intervention, but you can broaden that term. And so if that term gets applied to him, that's how it's being applied. So, you know, it's not like he did not discover like the platinum, whatever drugs that we put into the, right. Like it wasn't that it's just, he has the idea of let's use these chemical compounds, these substances to treat like his mineral salts or what have you. Okay. 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 Yeah. That that makes a lot more sense. As far as Pat's thoughts on the theory of four humors, as we talked about, he doesn't really go for that. Um, as much as like that organ specific disease Mm -hmm. theory, right? Yes. Again, does he know where any of the organs are in your body? Possibly not because he didn't take anatomy, but, or doesn't know anything during the time when they thought like your uterus wandered around your body. (laughs) Wait, what? Oh yeah. For a really long time (laughs) in history. Like, cause that's where the word hysteria comes from. Like hysteria, hyster, uterus. So like, if yeah. you're being hysterical, your uterus has just wandered around and affected your brain. It's just- Oh my gosh. Yeah. How yeah. did I not know that? I don't know. You must've, because TPWKY just covered that and they're late, like talked about it heavily in their latest episode have, on end of the I haven't kept so. up. I'm behind. I'm very behind. And so yeah. so for those. all of you out there who are not going to listen to that episode, yes, it was, okay. it was commonly thought for- oh, quite late into medicine that sometimes a woman's uterus is just going to wander around causing hysteria. (laughs) Spoiler alert. It doesn't do that. It pretty much stays put. So I mean, you know, you you do get to your organs moving around a little bit when you're pregnant, but I mean, definitely not all the way to your brain. It's not just wandering around. No. Wow. Yeah. No wandering. So he did live in a time when people especially did not know very much about female anatomy. So, mm-hmm. I mean, would it have been yeah. helpful even if he did? Probably not, <laughs> honestly. Um, so, you know, like bloodletting wasn't a, a solution to everything in his brain, right? Like I'd always feel yeah. like you see like- I have a headache, at this get the time, leeches. Just like leeches, yeah, like just bleed them, you know? Yeah. And he's like, you know, maybe like if all your blood, like his his- logical thought process was like if all your blood has poison in it bloodletting reduces the amount of poisonous blood you have but it's still poisonous yes right like like not like the blood that you're draining it's not like all the poison that's in your blood assuming it's in there just like that's the part that comes out he's just right. like but so when you, make more you just have less of the poisonous blood but it's still poisonous so you didn't really make more treat sense to not have poisonous blood how do we make yeah, the blood like, not poisonous? And you can keep yeah, it. You're not tre- yeah, you're not treating it. You might like, oh, okay, you have less of the poisonous blood, so you'll feel better, but which you, you don't. I mean, don't. depending on what you're suffering from, bloodletting is not going to make you feel better. I mean, if, if, if you got, if you're dealing with gangrene, okay, yeah. If, if something got cut off, leeches, yes. But yeah, that's okay. like one but, very specific case. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that was, I mean, we talk about it now, we're laughing, but I mean, that was kind of like breakthrough thought at the time. Yes. You know? It's and very like unpopular. Like you're living in a time when like that's the unpopular opinion. Yeah. Can you imagine? 
I know. Yeah. Um, and while he obviously didn't make a major breakthrough in germ theory, because, you know, germ theory really doesn't get going until way what, later, almost, almost the 20th century, like late, late 19th, late. mid 19th century, probably. Yeah. yeah. He did think that, you know, like rubbing cow dung or feathers or any of the other weird stuff that people used to put on wounds was not beneficial. Good. Cause yes, he is correct. I've listened to enough. This podcast will kill you to hear these remedies of like, put this stuff on it and that'll fix it. And the stuff that you put on it is not, it's not, no, it's not stuff you want to know. If it's got the word tincture in it, don't (laughs) let it anywhere near you. That's just a general rule. So he's actually quoted as writing. If you prevent infection, nature will heal the wound all by herself. Which is true. Again, like, yeah, yes. right. I mean, right. I mean, what did we talk about with um, uh, Dr. Dan, right? I mean, he was big on like, you, you just got to prevent infections. People in hospitals died, not because of why they went to the hospital, but because they got infections. So he has the concept of like, you just keep it clean. Let's keep it clean. And then everything's going to be cool. Yeah. Um, and again, it's, it's mind boggling to think that like that was that was like not the popular thought. I don't know. Anyway, crazy. I'm sure there's more I could get into with this, you know, medicine side of things, but I do want to switch gears a little bit so we can talk a little bit more about some of his chemistry alchemy stuff. Yes. Okay. So Pat was kind of um, the first person to bring chemistry, alchemy, and medicine kind of into, uh, the same world okay like um again you know your body's a lab right and there you are going to experiment in the lab and that's medicine as well so he's kind of merging those those things where i mean yes you need to understand chemistry and biochemistry and how the right to understand how medicine how to treat those and so forth so um he did make some uh other contributions to the field of chemistry outside of medicine Mm -hmm. Quick, quick refresh on alchemy. When we talk about alchemy in its original form, it's the idea that you could transmute other metals to gold, right? Yes. Um, and so most true alchemists, like that's what they were doing. Yes. It's like, I'm going to make all this other stuff become cold, gold. Yes. But as science progressed, it did start to kind of mean more than just transmutation and the search for the elixir of life and so forth, yes. which, you know, Pat didn't need to do because he just got it from the spirit in the wood or the all demon in do, the wood. All whatever. you had to do was ask one of Satan's pals. <laughs> Literally <laughs> let them out, get the stuff and then trick him to go back in, you know? Right. Um, I read that he's credited with being the first person to use the word chemistry. I read that too. And I, um, and I, as I opposed felt- to alchemy. Yes. And I felt like, like, no, but maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and you know, when I think of alchemy, I do associate it more of like magical dark arts and quacks trying to make gold, but chemistry, like, Ooh, chemistry. That's like the real, that's legitimate. So I don't know if he did use that term and was trying to be like, Oh no, this is important stuff. And like, let's experiment and observe things and learn from nature and, Mm -hmm. and so forth. However, he also probably was an alchemist in the traditional sense of the word as well. Well, because he did a potion that he got. Yeah, he did a bunch of experiments with metals. Um, 
in terms of, let's see, zinc. Pat is the first person to use the word zinc in 1526. Wow. So we know, um, what, like what we know as zinc comes from the German word zinc, but it's spelled Z-I-N-K-E, which means pointed. And I guess zinc crystals are really, really pointy. I feel yeah. like I should know what they look like. I feel like, have I never seen zinc crystals? Apparently they're pointy. Okay. Um, so that's how they got that name. He's also maybe the first to describe bismuth and cobalt. Cobalt is usually placed as being discovered in 17, uh, sorry, 1735, but potentially he described it or maybe like a cobalt salt earlier on, but didn't recognize it as like a new element or something different. Okay. You know, um, like, you know, again, like the, the, those kinds of terms and like that language didn't even exist at the time because chemistry wasn't really a thing yet, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, he discovered a method for getting arsenic metal as a pure substance from arsenic sulfide. Oh. It's also believed he was one of the first to observe and write about hydrogen gas. And again, he didn't call it hydrogen or recognize it as like, yes, yeah, so a super important element because it is. But right. he did note yeah. that gas formed from the dissolution of a metal in acid. So like if you have um, hydrochloric acid, which is HCl and magnesium yes. metal, you'll mm -hmm. form magnesium chloride and hydrogen gas. So okay. you'll see, uh, like, well, you won't see, well, it depends on if he heats up, but like you will have a gas um, escape from that reaction, right? Okay. Um, so he noted, well, okay, well, if I dissolve this metal in hydrochloric acid, which they didn't call it that at the time either, but if I dissolve it, um, you know, I see an evolution of a gas, which, um, you know, that's, that's something like our gen chem students have to do this, you know, to yeah. show that there's a chemical reaction between HCl and magnesium or whatever. Bubbles. Um, yeah, bubbles. You right? get bubbles. So he was happening. That's right. That's right. Bubbles or heat or color. Those are yep. like your main things to look for. If you see yep. bubbles, you feel heat or the color changes, like probably chemistry. Probably chemistry. Yeah. So I do feel like he was successful in some ways in his, in, in his experimentation in terms of adding to the chemical knowledge at the time, you know? Mm -hmm. So he didn't think that transmutation of base metal um, of gold should be like the only thing alchemists did, but he definitely thought it was possible okay. in terms of the idea of turning one thing into something pure or better or whatever. Okay. So, um, you know, still kind of an alchemist to a certain extent, but maybe, he, you know, again, he's not spending all his time in the lab, just like, I'm going to make gold. Right. Right. So what's funny to me is he didn't like the theory of the four humors, but he generally held with the idea that there were four elements of mm. air, earth, fire, and water. Interesting. Um, but he does go in for this really, I don't know, I, this one to me is just a fun fact. He does go in for the doctrine of tria prima, which means that he thought that sulfur, mercury, and salt were like the three main elements and sulfur represents fire, mercury relates to water, and then salt relates to the earth. Okay. Then, um, but like, by the way, salt here doesn't mean like table salt, like sodium chloride. It's just the broader sense of like a salt. Right. Okay. Um, and air is actually a product of fire and water. So that's why you only need three elements because you can make air from your fire and your water, apparently. Okay. Swing yeah. and a miss, but okay. Yeah. So he wrote for all that fumes and disappears and vapors as mercury all that burns and is consumed is sulfur. All that is ashes is also salt. But this is a fun fact. Ooh. He wrote a book on nymphs, sylphs, 
pygmies and salamanders and on the other spirits. That's the name of the book. Okay, this has nothing really to do with alchemy, but um, girl moms out there, where are you at? Because if you've been subjected to Frozen 2 8 million times, Ooh. we all know that the fire spirit in the forest was a salamander. Yep. Yep. And sylphs are the air spirits. And we all know about Gale. Am I right? Yes. And then nymphs, I think, are also called undines, mm-hmm. which comes from the Latin word unda, which means wave. Mm-hmm. And I read that undines slash water nymphs are what kind of morph into mermaids and other stuff too. Yes. In I know the water yes. spirit in Frozen yeah. too is like a water horse, which is like a uh, Scandinavian thing. But well, I still but feel like horses, it fits. Horses are often associated with water because Poseidon yeah. is Poseidon is god of the sea and also god of horses. Yeah. They always yeah, yeah. go together. Yeah. But I just, I like how it all kind of fits. And I just thought it was super interesting because especially like, I'm like, why is there a salamander in this movie? Like, why is the salamander the, the fire spirit? Like, what is this? It's a salamander. Salamanders are always fire. Always. Okay. But I didn't, did, did I know this? No, no, but it all, you can trace it back to Pat who wrote a big book about this Yummy. and all the elements. And I just thought that was kind of interesting. I love it. And on that note, that is a, probably not brief enough for the sound editor. Uh, story. No, it's totally of... fine. This, this episode is going to be three hours long and I don't care. It's what it okay. is. Okay. <laughs> because we've had some phenomenal laughs in here yeah. and we're having a great time. So, you know, it is. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of a really, you know, condensed. And so I didn't talk about Paracelsian theory here, but put it in your satchel because that um gets that term does kind of persist and it gets associated with a particular way of thinking about medicine and stuff and what we'll, it'll it will appear in another episode this season I'm very excited about that that's going to be really cool yeah very yeah cool. so that's pat's science that was awesome i think we've all learned a lot i if we didn't about we, medicine talked about a lot i mean yeah you know, I mean, we, we learned that we should not try to use plants shaped like organs to cure ourselves, which is, I feel like a valuable skill. Again, you like know. I said before that some, but somebody had to test these things out. Someone had to eat the mushrooms mm. to see which make you die <laughs> and which make you hallucinate and which tastes like beef, you know, <laughs> those are all options and someone had to try it out. So here we are. That was awesome. So let's take a break and then do a little bit of legacy because I found something that is absolutely unexpected, phenomenally amazing, and is one of the very rare rabbit holes that I got to go down. So I'm excited about the legacy section. I can't wait. All right. So let's take a quick break. Let's talk legacy. This guy's badass credentials are obviously unimpeachable I would say yeah (laughs) and he's and he's much like Tico in that his personality makes him larger than life which is why I said at the beginning of this how how did we not land on this guy for the first because we didn't know we were new we had no idea the people we were going to discover so it wasn't until I started reading that book the last sorcerers that I became aware of him and I remember texting you being like this guy this guy we have to do Yes, 
Uh, yeah, we yeah. were well into the first season yeah. before we started to learn the, the wide world of the Paracelsus-like BAs that were out there. Yeah, for sure. So what do you, so, so, so what, what makes him a BA for you? What's his legacy for you? Like, what are the cool things that he's left us with? I mean, honestly, I, I love, I love his sharp tongue Mm. and his utter disdain for everybody and everything. That's not, you know, what he thinks. I love it. Um, I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of that. I don't Mm. think like, I don't want to be the one that he's like posting the mean tweets on the doors about. Right. But just some of how he said it and what he did, it just makes me laugh. And yeah, larger than life, kind of all these legends and all these things that have, you know, they're obviously not true, but like the fact that there is this folklore about him, I just think is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I do think he's kind of like, I don't want to say controversial, but maybe polarizing or complicated person mm-hmm. in terms of um, putting him into a science context because like you said he practiced dark magic or he was a total shyster he didn't actually contribute anything to real chemistry because all his theories were wrong but other journal journal articles that i read talk about like he pushed science forward in respect to things like toxicology um Mm -hmm. so there's i just kind of feel like i don't know even today he can kind of get people to feel one way very strongly about him or the other you know yeah um there's debates about whether his writings were actually his, whether they're forgeries, whether other people wrote that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there was even a workshop, and I think it was like 2017, that was just having to do with like the validity of like the writings that have his name on them, you know? Yes. Like it's still something that people care about and are trying to pick apart. Yep. Um, like the fact that he's kind of referenced in Faust. I mean, just it's so cool. Like, it's just, I don't know. He had far reaching effects. And the fact that people still care today about, you know, some of these things that they're having meetings and conferences about just is pretty cool to me. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to read, I did find like what his grave actually says. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I, as be, I said, I, I am, I am going to post a picture of it, but I didn't yeah. like, I didn't like so, look too hard at it. Yeah. So he's buried at St. Sebastian's church in Salzburg. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was 1752 before he was relocated. So that's like over 200 years wow. after his death was when he was finally relocated to inside the church, mm. not being like basically buried as a pauper, which I mean, I think he was a pauper when he died. Cause you know, he spent all his money all the time on booze, I think, booze. um, and coats, booze and, and coats. coats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but his grave reads here lies buried Philip. Theophrastus how do we say that Theophrastus is how we're saying it yeah okay the famous the famous doctor of medicine did he write his own gravestone the famous (laughs) doctor the famous doctor of medicine who cured wounds leprosy gout dropsy and other incurable maladies of the body with wonderful knowledge and gave his goods to be divided and distributed to the poor in the year 1541 on the 24th day of September he exchanged life for death Oh, he exchanged life for death. Almost like an electron exchange. <laughs> Except not. Hopefully he didn't, he wasn't riding his Satan horse when well, he did that. I mean, what else was he going to ride? You can't show up at the pearly gates on a Satan horse. It was white. They wouldn't have known the difference. 
he's got a white horse. This is where the theory of where the horse came from falls apart. He's like, like, no, 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 guys, it's a white horse. He's cool. He's cool. (laughs) If it was a black horse, we'd have to worry. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, But I did read too that like um, three, like even like 300 years after his death, people made pilgrimages to his grave during a big cholera epidemic oh. because they were like hoping that somehow he would cure, like heal them because From that's beyond. how his legend grew that he was this mystical healer. Wow. And so people were like, all right, let's go to his grave and see if we can like get, get this cholera epidemic over with. Wow. Like on his grave. Yeah. 300 years after his death, which is funny because he was so wildly unpopular uh at least among the physicians right maybe the general population must i mean for his legend to carry on i guess he would have had to have quite a following of people that were like no this dude's cool like it's it's cool this is fine i I think that's well he in some ways did achieve immortality we're still talking about him today we are still talking about him today so i mean that actually that actually leads very nicely into what I found to be interesting okay. about him. Cause I don't have like, yeah, he's VA. He, I like his attitude. I like, I like how down to earth he was. He did not want medicine and knowledge to be pretentious. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not a protected thing. There is absolutely no reason why someone shouldn't be able to understand their own health. That's important. And he was for that. He was like, no, I'm going to teach this in German. Like why, why shouldn't somebody know about this stuff? If this could help somebody, yeah. why not? I love it. I think it's really great. And I, and I love Paracelsus, but this is the best part. Okay. So I had to go down a rabbit hole. Cause remember I started this whole thing with the names. Yeah. Has lots of names. And so I researched each individual name to see what I could find out about it as it related to our dude. So I type in Honheim, von Honheim. Mm -hmm. So in Japan, they have a style of comic book or graphic novel called manga. Mm -hmm. And if if there are anime manga people out there, I'm really sorry that I'm not an expert on this. I only know what I researched and I'm not going to explain it very well. So I do apologize, but I'm doing my best. Okay. Okay. So manga is drawn in a very specific way. And like I said, we would relate it to anime. It's not, but the it's not anime is moving. Okay. Manga is not, it's comic books. Right. Graphic novels. Okay. Okay. But it's that but like, it's the style okay. of drawing. You, you, uh, they, I'm just going to Google this. Yes, definitely do. You, ha- okay. you have to Google what I'm telling you because you have. Okay. To okay. Okay. There is a particular series called full metal alchemist oh my gosh what and in the series there is a character named von honheim oh yes and if you're a fan or if you know like anime series there's a 2003 anime series and there's a character the character there is called honheim of light but it's the same guy manga important question does he ride a white a white same horse (laughs) i don't know but here's what i do know about honheim okay he is a human philosopher's stone and has what? been preserved in the prime of life for 400 years. He has accumulated more alchemical knowledge than anyone else and so, of course, is immortal. 
in the trivia huh. section of the wiki on Full Metal Alchemist. Because yeah. if you if you Google Full Metal Alchemist, the Full Metal Alchemist wiki is what will come up. Okay. It says that Hanheim is named after Paracelsus. Mentioned it says, oh yeah, and this guy is is based on Paracelsus, the and, and gives a little uh, like two sentence blurb about Pat. And I was like, what is happening? I was very excited. Super That's excited. Phenomenal. It's amazing. You have to Google it. Um, I'm gonna if if you help me remember, I will post a link to um okay to the Honheim wiki. But yeah, like he has this amazing mythology. There's these cool stories. Like it is amazing. So it's crazy. When when you talk about like it, it was said that Paracelsus held the Philosopher's Stone, which as we all know, helps you make the elixir of life and makes you immortal. Everyone knows right. that. Obviously. If, if you didn't, then you do now. Now you do. So maybe he didn't, maybe he did have the Philosopher's Stone because we're still talking about him. He is preserved as an alchemist in Japanese uh, manga. I'm telling you, he, he might very That's well crazy. be legitimately immortal. So that is my contribution to our legacy section. It was so cool. I was so, I was, I was probably ridiculously excited. I'm still ridiculously excited because it was a very cool connection. Um, but that actually dovetails nicely into our sources because, okay. because Full Metal Alchemist Wiki was one of mine. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So I'll give you the rest of mine and then you can do yours because my sources okay. were pretty straightforward this time. Um, of course, the last sorcerers by Richard Morris was yep. the primary source. Definitely. I read a book called Paracelsus: Medicine, Magic, and Mission at the End of Time. I didn't read the whole thing because a lot of it was on the Paracelsianism that were mm-hmm. going to come up, and a lot of his mm-hmm. philosophy, which I didn't care mm-hmm. about. Yeah, but, he was a big philosopher, and I avoided that too because I didn't, you know. know. It's not, it's not germane to this podcast. It's the same reason we didn't talk about Hypatia's philosophy because eh, philosophy yeah, is philosophy. Bleh. I mean, if you like philosophy out there and you're listening like, yay, philosophy, but yay, also I don't but really also, talk about it. Yeah. The one yeah. thing that both of us, cool. like the official position of BA in science is that philosophy is not in our purview. There we go. Like in college, I had to take either philosophy, like religion some intro religion course or something else and I was like I will take anything but philosophy see all of my electives were philosophy as a mathematician all of mine were philosophy but I took like something on art and something on logic I don't know it was good stuff um oh I read a I I read a journal article I found a journal article that that I a a plebeian non-professor type academic had access to. Um, it was called mm-hmm. the eminent physician and pioneer of toxicology. And it was mm. in a toxicology journal. And huh? so it has a whole bunch of, um, it was, it was Greek men that wrote it because Spiros and Constantinos were two of the people who did Greek guys, but they wrote on his, like the history of toxicology as seen mm. via him. And then, um, and yeah, then of course the von Hohenheim wiki page from Full Metal mm-hmm. Alchemist. So those were my sources this time. Yeah. Fine out. Um, okay. So I had a couple of those that um, the eminent physician and pioneer of toxicology. 
um, The Last Sorcerers. I also got some information from a book called Creations of Fire, Chemistry's Lively History from Alchemy to the Atomic Age by Kathy Cobb and Harold Goldwhite. I've used, uh, I'm using it this season for a few people or whatever. It's helpful. Um, The Development of Modern Chemistry by Aaron J. Ide. Um, an article called Paracelsus by F.B. Lund was like in like the Annals of Surgery journal something. I don't know. Okay. Um, and then I actually did go, uh, I think Wikipedia, because when I went down the uh, four elements and the sylphs mm-hmm. and nymphs and everything, I just kind of Wikipedia that stuff. So yes, I don't have like all the links to those things, but I did use Wikipedia. Always Wikipedia. For sure. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We need to tease next week's episode. Yeah. So this person that we're doing, uh, mm-hmm. that we're super stressed about for a variety of reasons, which we'll discuss, oh, yeah. um, actually, uh, was not expecting it when I was researching her. No, I guess a spoiler. It's a, it's a female mm-hmm. not expecting it, but, uh, she comes into the orbit of the Radium Girls, which we discussed very briefly in the end of season two. Yes, yes. Yeah. And one, it, Among that, other things, but yeah. You know, the, but that will be so. So she has a connection, a connection to the work of Marie Curie, we'll say. Yeah. It's kind of fun how like there's so many times now things are just like popping up in other places, like when I'm researching a different episode and I see something about Paracelsian theory or whatever, I'm like, I know that guy. I know that guy. You know? I, know. I get, I get unreasonably yeah. excited about it because it's me like, too. oh, maybe, me too. maybe becoming a little bit of an expert in the science of history and the history of science, you know, I just know things like I just know things now. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's going to be a good episode, but it was very stressful for us to, yeah. to get through. And we'll talk about, we will for sure talk about why. Yeah. But it'll be great. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's, oh, it's definitely interesting. I got lots of stuff, which is the problem. Yeah. 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 So, all right. So do you have anything else for this week? No. All right. Neither do I. So until next time, live dangerously, do science.